Welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. My name is Talaya Dindi. I'm a cancer thriver, cancer doula, independent patient advocate, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, everyone. This is Talaya Dindi from On the Other Side That Life, and you're listening to Navigating Cancer Together, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Erica Wolf. Nine years ago, at the age of 43, Erica Wolf faced an advanced form of breast cancer head-on. She underwent traditional oncology treatments, but it was the discovery of integrative medicine therapies that allowed her to thrive during treatment and throughout her recovery. Erica learned that much of the American oncology community does not widely support the utilization of complementary therapies. I must agree. Erica advocated for herself to find and incorporate these therapies so that her entire being was cared for and treated as robustly as the cancer itself. Therefore, it has become Erica's passion to share this information with as many people as possible, and she believes it is important for patients to be aware, but moreover than physicians, nurses, and other caregivers accept the efficacy of complementary care and advocate for the inclusion of these modalities as a regular part of oncology care and recovery. Erica lives in the mountains of Colorado with her husband and two dogs. She has worked in marketing and PR for the past 30 years, and she is a director of digital marketing for a nonprofit based in Denver, Colorado. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It is my pleasure, Erica. I'm so excited for the audience to hear about your story. I love your advocacy. I'm definitely in agreement with you. How are you feeling today, Erica? Today, I feel great. These days, life is good. I feel fully recovered. I still take steps to make sure that I am in good health, but I feel like I have had a very thorough recovery. Good. Good to hear that. A lot of it has to do with your self-advocacy, I'm sure. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people, when they think about cancer care, they just think about the oncology aspect of it. I know I did Mm -hmm. before I went through this. And surprisingly enough, before I went through it, my mother-in-law did, and so did my own mother. But they did very traditional treatment only. And 
So I didn't know that there was this whole other part of me that was going to be missing the care that it really needed. Because yes, while we were caring for my body, the treatment was really aimed at the organ, which I had breast cancer. So it was aimed at that. And sometimes I felt like the side effects that were caused and uh, other symptoms that I had were not treated with the same gravity as the other symptoms, the, the cancer symptoms themselves. And I just thought that was not looking at the whole body and then began to realize, hey, we're we're not only not looking at the whole body, we're not looking at the mind and the emotions, and the spirit and the relationships and all of those things that are affected when you go through a serious illness of any kind, really. Yes, for us, it was cancer, but I feel like there's a lot of people um, who go through very serious illnesses who don't perhaps know that these other treatments are out there and available to them. That's true. It's not something that still today in 2023 is still not widely known to a lot of people. It's not discussed. It's slowly becoming part of some of the cancer centers, but not as much as I would like to see. And speaking in terms of breast cancer, Erica, and symptoms, please share with the audience how you learned you had breast cancer. And then what were some of the symptoms you were experiencing? Sure. So it was the fall of 2014. And I knew that my mammogram was due that year. And so I thought I should give myself a breast exam here just to see if there's anything that I notice. And I felt a hardness. But to be honest, it wasn't the first time in my life I felt something like this. I was rather small breasted. And after breastfeeding both of my kids, I had what they called gravel road, which is just a lot of dense areas in my breasts. And so even when I had a mammogram, they showed me what people with fattier tissue and what that looked like. And mine always looked like a very cloudy day. <laughs> and it, it was hard to determine. And I was like, well, that doesn't feel quite right. I was going about scheduling a doctor's appointment. And a few days later, I was in a yoga class and there was one pose where we were all on our stomachs and then you grab back and hold your ankles and you rock forward and backward. You're on a hard surface. You've got this thin little mat. When I rolled forward, I felt this, where I felt that hardness before. And I was like, that hurt. And then up until my doctor's appointment, the pain just kept getting worse. I did what a lot of people do. I went home and I Googled and I started Googling everything I could think. Does breast cancer hurt? It does. Will I feel pain in the lump? Like all these things. And unfortunately, a lot of what I read said most breast cancer lumps are not painful. So I still kept my appointment, but I had it in my mind that, oh, it's probably not then because Google said, but lo and behold, I went to the doctor and she said, that doesn't feel right. Um, let's go ahead and get you scheduled. And I have talked about doing a thermogram. Okay. And so that's what I did. I hadn't had one before, but for anybody who doesn't know, because they're not that common, a thermogram is an image that's done of an area of the body. 
that looks at where heat and blood supply are in high demand. And while it's not diagnostic, it can provide information. So that was my first step. I went and had a thermogram and my scan on the left side where the lump was showed up bright red and orange. And then the other side was blue and green and light colors. And she said that the red and the orange are typically indicative of where there is this heat and blood supply. So next steps were, of course, mammogram. I had an ultrasound. I think I had multiple mammograms in there. And then, of course, a biopsy. And then the biopsy showed the malignancy. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Erica. I want to applaud you for taking it a step further and doing something that isn't traditional and getting that thermogram. I heard, I've never had one, but I heard that has been very beneficial for many people who have decided to do that. I want to thank you for introducing that to people who may have not heard of that. So that is an option. Did your insurance cover that or was that an out-of-pocket cost for you? That is a good question, Talia. I I don't remember. Okay. I have a feeling it was covered, but I don't know that for sure. uh, It's been a while. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Maybe I'll do some research and see if maybe today it's covered now, because I think that's good for people, for women and even men to know this if that's an option for for people under insurance. For sure. I think a lot of women sometimes shy away from mammograms because they can be painful. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, they told me, so my mom had breast cancer. I mentioned that before. My mom had breast cancer about 10 or 12 years before I did. And the medical community had said to me, she was postmenopausal. My mom was 68 at the time. And so that doesn't really increase your risk at all. So you can still keep having your mammograms every two years. And I did. Then after I was diagnosed, that group of doctors now was saying, why weren't you having a mammogram annually? And I said, I was always told what I just said. And they're like, no, that's inaccurate. I never heard it before. Never. Yeah, I really do want to advocate for people to get their mammogram once a year. And if it's something that maybe is a little scary, I think women think, oh, mammogram is introducing radiation to the breast, then maybe thermogram is an option. Um, Like I said, they're not 100% diagnostic. And I did have to go from thermogram to getting a mammogram anyway, but I think that they can be a valuable screening tool. That's a great point, Erica. And we cannot leave out the fact that your breast self-exam helped you identify that, hey, there's some pain here. There's a lump here. It doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And then doing the healthy thing with Pilates, that helped as well. That helped you identify that pain in that area too. It definitely did. And yeah, I do think that The other thing to keep in mind, when my mom found her breast cancer, it was up near her collarbone. Oh, wow. So she didn't realize that it would be considered breast cancer. But breast tissue is not just the cup of the breast. It's all the way up to the collarbone, extends out onto the armpit. It's under down by the ribs. When they do a mastectomy, um, the entire chest wall is scraped and 
that's where all of the breast tissue is. It's not just what we think about as typical breasts. So yes, it can be a variety of locations. There can be a variety of symptoms too. That's something that I'm trying to advocate too, is for women to look out for things like itchiness or redness or thickening of the skin. I think a lot of people think, oh, there's a lump and that is the telltale. It can be, but it isn't hundred percent of the time, the, the symptom or the only symptom. That is an excellent point, Erica. Let's talk about what your life was like before your breast cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So I was a very active person. I was a wellness coach at the time. I did yoga on a regular basis. I loved to cycle. I was a runner. I had, a, I had two kids. So at the time they were in their early teens and I was just constantly on the go. I was a gardener. I liked to cook fresh foods from scratch. Yeah, we, we had a dog at the time. I've always been someone who was a big lover of the outdoors. And I, I appreciated my health. I worked on my health. It was something that was always at the forefront for me. Like I mentioned, I was a wellness coach. And so I worked with other people on helping them maintain and achieve their goals. So it hit me hard. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you learn from your experience with breast cancer? So sometimes I feel like the list of what I learned was endless. Mm-hmm. But I think that some of the really big things were that First of all, no one's exempt. There wasn't really a point in me wondering why did this happen to me? I feel cancer and breast cancer too, specifically, I just hear so many people who are affected by this disease. And even if it doesn't affect them personally, it affects someone that they know, someone in their family, a friend, a colleague, someone out there is dealing with cancer. And so Yes, there are plenty of things I think that you can do to try to keep yourself as healthy as possible, but cancer doesn't really work that way. It doesn't say, oh, she does X, Y, and Z. There's many reasons why I think cancers are prevalent in our society. So I think that was something that I learned. I also learned really to not take anything for granted. Those days where I was laying in bed and couldn't get up and do my run. I couldn't even walk. Going downstairs and coming back up took all of the energy I had just to walk back up 12 steps. And so I started to really realize that I had to start looking for the good things that I had in my life to be grateful for. Because yes, I did not have a clean bill of health at the moment, but I had a lot of things already present that I felt were going to help me achieve that again. And of course, the people that were helping me and the doctors and my family and the friends, but even just being grateful that I had a bed to lie in while I recovered and be grateful that I had health insurance and be grateful that it was caught with stage three and not stage four. Just everything that you can look at in a bad way. It's, oh, this is so expensive and I can't believe it's stage three and I can't believe I'm stuck in bed. Yes, you can decide to think about it that way, or you can decide to think about it in a positive way. And I feel like either direction that you decide to focus on 
it continues in that pattern. So if you decide to think negatively, the thoughts snowball. And you can actually defeat the healing that's going on in your body. You can cause yourself to have maybe panic attacks or additional stress. Or you can think positively and decide to look on the bright side and not in a way that's, oh, cheer up, chin up, things will get better. Not in a toxic way. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to forget reality, but it's also reality that there are things to be thankful for in that moment. Yeah, I could not agree more. And what you're talking about is mindset. It's so critical to like you said, not pretend to be positive all the time. Of course, you're supposed to feel those other feelings, the anger, the the sadness, those things. But I think the balancing point is not getting stuck there, yes. not just spending your whole experience there, because then you miss so many of the other, like you said, the other good things that happen. Like you can go get treatment and go home. There's people who have to stay there. So even things like that, like you said, you have a bed to go home to. There's people that are homeless who have cancer and they get their treatment and they have to go back to living on the street again. Just imagine how tough that is. The mindset is, is really key. And like you said, it's not about your daily mood because yes, there were days when I just was like, I'm just going to pull the covers up and and we'll see you tomorrow. Mm. But that doesn't mean that is how I lived those whole 18 months. What I like about the idea of gratitude is it's a practice you can return to as many times as you need to. And you don't have to just always be positive and always have a smile on your face and those sorts of things, because it certainly wasn't true for me. There were plenty of times where I cried or got angry or was scared. But I tried to come back to that feeling of I'm scared. Why am I scared? It's because I don't want to leave this life. I love my life. I love my family. I love these. And then be able to be grateful that is actually there. And that's something to fight for. And so coming back to that is a practice. And you can train your mind to do it. But as humans, we all fall off of that track. And it's just a matter of coming back as many times as you need to. If it's a hundred times a day. That's right. That's right. Recentering on your why. Yes. Erica, you shared that previously you were a health coach. Is that how you learned about complementary therapies or did that come when you were diagnosed with cancer? Also for people who don't know much about it, what do you recommend as a first step? So I learned about some complementary therapies before I was diagnosed. I think being in an area where I was talking with others about their health, I would hear people tell me what they were doing. My sister was at the time gaining her, I think she had already gotten her yoga certification and was gaining certification in Ayurvedic healthcare. And so there were some aspects that I was familiar with, even if I hadn't fully participated in them. But it was once I was diagnosed. So the doctor that I went to for my breast exam was a woman. She was a um, physician's assistant in this 
practice that I've been going to. And she said to me, after I was positively diagnosed, I went back in for an appointment. She said, the the doctor who's there, the head uh, physician, his name's Butch, Dr. Butch Levy. She said, Butch does complimentary treatments for patients with cancer. You should try and get an appointment with him and see what he can help you with and whatnot. So I did. And all through my chemotherapy, he helped me with acupuncture, with Chinese herbs, and with nutritional supplements. Those things really helped me because after my first chemo treatment, I was like, I don't think I can do this. I was very sick. My blood pressure was low. I was dehydrated. It was just, I I was miserable feeling. And so when I went to him and he started me on acupuncture, that's a way to balance your energy. And there's a lot of heat that builds in the body from these chemo medications. And then also the herbs that he had me taking and the nutritional supplements, all of that sort of helped balance everything out for me. And once I went through all of that and moved on into like the mastectomy phase in my radiation, I started to ask my doctors and other patients, what can I do to help myself through this phase? Because I continued with acupuncture, but I thought that's going to help still because my body didn't just boom recover, but is there, can I do physical therapy? Those kinds of things. And so the more I asked, the more I learned. And yes, I did physical therapy. I did yoga therapy. So that was like specific to women who had gone through breast cancer. We had individual classes with an instructor in private. And then once you got to a certain level, then you moved into a group class. And it was really great because it was very focused on chest, pecs, neck, upper back, arms, all of the areas where the other women and I had been mostly affected. And and that was just how it went from there. I would just ask and then, of course, do some research online. And in the end, I ended up uncovering and using 16 different complementary therapies. Oh, that's great. course. Yeah. It was sometimes really busy for me because like through radiation, I was going daily plus physical therapy, plus my yoga therapy, plus still acupuncture and taking herbs. And it was a lot to juggle. I had spreadsheets, thank goodness, because (laughs) I also had the brain fog of chemo. So I needed something to help me remember. But I think the biggest thing to remember about complementary therapies is that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. We all go through cancer in different ways. Some people have some illnesses or uh, certain issues to consider before going into it, and, and everyone's different. And so perhaps acupuncture is right for you. Perhaps, you know, some other kind of, of therapy that I didn't look into because I've had people say, did you try this? And I didn't. That doesn't mean it's not a good one. It's just, there's only so much you can do. My doctor used to say, how many cooks do you want in this kitchen? (laughs) 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 So I think it's important. And that's where part of the self-advocacy comes in is finding what's right for you. I had a woman ask me after a talk that I'd given, she said, I thought you were going to tell us all the herbs you took. Mm. 
And I said, no, I don't advocate you doing exactly what I did. There's not a set blueprint for this. I would never tell someone you should do X, Y, and Z because it depends what's happening in your body. If your energy is balanced in one way versus another, and that was different from mine, I can't be responsible for telling someone to do a particular protocol that isn't right for them. So that's where the self-advocacy comes in to not only look to your doctor for what kinds of treatments are right for you, but to also find the complementary treatments that are right for you. Um, I advocate finding them. I don't advocate which ones. Yeah, I love that. Making that clear distinction that yes, it's good to have those complementary therapies. They're out there, but learn about your body and learn about which ones may work best for you. That may take some experimentation, but those options are out there. The fact that you had 16, that is very encouraging. That's telling people that, hey, there are a lot of things out there that you may not even know about. So look at it as like a scavenger hunt. I'm going to go on this hunt. I'm going to look for these things that can help me to better withstand the treatment that I may have to face when going through cancer. Absolutely. Yes. I love that idea. Get to know your body. And because I would think that to myself, I would decide I would turn inward and listen to my body and try to figure out what it needed and then go from there. That's right. What it needs. And it'll tell us if we just listen and get still. So what great advice. You believe that talking about cancer is a tough topic. It's a tough thing to discuss. Why was it tough for you to discuss? It was tough. And the reasons I think were many, but for me, so my husband's mom passed away of pancreatic cancer when she was 57 years old. And so my youngest child didn't remember her at all, but my older child did. She was four and a half years old. She remembered her before the diagnosis somewhat, but she remembers the funeral. She remembers her passing. And then at the same time as my mother-in-law was going through that, my mom had breast cancer. They were fairly simultaneous. So I think that in my family, discussing cancer was difficult, especially because the kids were little. Uh, they had one grandma who passed away from it, one grandma who did not. So I think that it was difficult to discuss with them my diagnosis in a positive yet realistic way um, so that they weren't so terrified, but that they understood that this was something that um, was very serious and I was going to have to take time out from my job and time out from doing all the things I was regularly doing to get healthy again. And I think that for some people, when they hear about cancer, they automatically think it's a death sentence. And I know there were people who, when I told them that I was diagnosed, there was a wide variety of reactions, which made it hard for me to want to discuss it with people because some people were like, oh, let me know how I can help. My mom went through this three years ago and I have some great recipes. And I'm like, thanks. I appreciate that. And some people would put a jar of soup on my front doorstep 
and then call me and say, hey, when you feel good, there's soup out on your front steps. Go pick it up. I didn't want to knock on the door and wake you up or something. Just very thoughtful. But then sometimes there were people who were would say things like, oh, I know someone who had that. They died. And you're like, wow, okay. It's like, there's no filter sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that sometimes can be difficult for people because a lot of people want to relay their perhaps one and only experience, which may not be positive. And so I think that I would like to help change the conversation around cancer and be able to discuss it in a way that is more positive, uh, which is why I named my book that I've recently written. It's called Cancer and Other Things I'm Grateful For. That's why I named it because I wanted to have, I wanted to offer people an invitation to look at cancer in a different light. Because people have said to me, grateful, but why in the world would you be grateful? Mm -hmm. And so when I explain that I'm grateful because I am where I am and I wouldn't have gotten here without everything and everyone that came into my life to get me. And cancer is one of those things. So yes, it's about cancer and other things I'm grateful for. I think that looking at it from that perspective may help us have more empathetic conversations about cancer, a more enlightened approach for the disease and hopefully something just a little more positive that can help the people going through it know that others understand that helping them look at this disease as something to deal with as opposed to so many people automatically assume, okay, this is bad. You're going to die from this. But no, it is very often something that you have to deal with, just like anything else. You have to deal with a job loss. You have to deal with any kind of financial crisis where you have to deal with a move, a job change, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be like so negative. I agree. I always like to remind myself and other people that we've been through hard things before. How do we get through those things? Lean on some of those skills that you've used to get through those tough times. And you're right. A lot of times people don't know what to say when it comes to cancer. And they're just as nervous as you are or uncomfortable. And so they just rattle off something without even thinking about it, (laughs) thinking that they're being helpful. So there's so many factors that are involved, but I'm so happy that you're trying to help people get more comfortable talking about cancer in a normal way. Erica, please tell the listeners where they can get your book if they're interested. Sure. So it is available on amazon.com. Again, the name of it is Cancer and Other Things I'm Grateful For. My name is Erica K. Wolf with a K in the middle because there is another author out there who has my same name without the K. (laughs) Thanks for pointing that out. (laughs) You talked about gratitude, Erica. What is something that you're grateful for right in this moment, right now? I'm grateful for the weather that we're having in Colorado. It has been just an amazing couple of weeks. I know that we are on the cusp of winter, but these days 
are feeling like summer and I want to just enjoy every second while they last. Yes. Good weather is definitely something to be grateful for, especially sun. Yes. Yes. (laughs) What is one thing you want the listeners to know, Erica? I think the biggest thing that I would like people to know who are going through cancer or some other very serious illness is to trust yourself. Because when you're going through something very serious, there's a lot of advice coming to you from all directions. Sometimes it's from well-meaning, but perhaps overbearing family members or friends. Sometimes it's from doctors and nurses. And it's important to step back and think about what you know about yourself and what you know about your situation. Yes, you want to, of course, take medical information into consideration, but just the oncology information isn't enough. So look at the whole picture and then trust yourself to make the decisions that are right for you. It's giving away your power to allow someone else's opinion to influence you so much that you actually might go against what you and your gut feel is right. So it can be very empowering to trust that you know what's best for you and then tell others, I've made this decision. I would appreciate your support. I do X, Y, and Z. And thank you for understanding and supporting me in this endeavor. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important. Yeah. And you get to set the tone is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. I love that. Erica, as we wind down here, I like to ask my guests two questions, Mm -hmm. two very specific questions. The first one is, what is one word that you would use to describe how you survived cancer? I think that word would be thrive because that was my goal in finding the complementary treatments is I didn't want to just survive. Survive to me is clinging to hope and to health where thriving is living in that. And I feel like when I use the complementary treatments, they allowed me to engage in my life in a more full way instead of just enduring the cancer treatments. I was actually able to go for walks or sometimes bike rides. I was able to cook. I was able to go to my son's Taekwondo tournaments. I was able to do things and engage in my regular life in a way that I don't think would have been possible had I not had these other treatments that were helping me thrive in the moment, not just afterwards. I agree with that. Thrive is, I don't think people who have not experienced cancer really 
understand the magnitude of that word. I remember when I first used it and I called myself a thriver and people were like, what is that? (laughs) And so now it's more common, but that word carries so much meaning and so much importance to people who have gone through very tough times in their lives. Because if you're able to get through those things and still have a smile on your face, still have a good attitude, still appreciate life, that is thriving. It's not about money. It's not about materialistic things. It's about despite what I've gone through, I'm still here. I'm still healthy, happy, and I'm thriving. And everyone thrives in their own way. Absolutely. You get to decide what your, you know, what makes you happy, which people would say, Ugh, I don't want to go for a bike ride. That was my thriving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> exactly. Great point. Finally, Erica, what is one I wish I would have known? And it could be related to anything in your life that has happened or cancer, whatever. Mm. Think when it comes to my cancer diagnosis, the one thing I wish I would have known was that I should have been doing mammograms every single year. Not skipping years in between, not thinking because my mom's cancer diagnosis was postmenopausal that doesn't increase my risk. All of those things I was told, I really do wish I would have known because when we look back at my mammogram from the two years before, there was no evidence. And so I often wonder, had I gotten the mammogram on that year in between, what would they have found? I hear so many women these days, and I'm not happy that they're getting diagnosed, but when they are, they're saying it was stage zero Mm. or it was stage one. And it just goes to show like how good we've gotten at detecting things when they're very small and they're not causing a major problem and they're more manageable. I really, that's something that I wish. I understand that. That's great. And to even take that a little bit further, Erica, one thing that I'm starting to see, and I'm happy to see it too, is that women or any cancer patient who goes in because they know something isn't right. And that doctor says, oh, no, that's nothing to worry about. But they keep pushing forward and they go somewhere else until they get that answer. And sometimes it is nothing, but a lot of times it has been something and their persistence has changed their lives. So that's the other piece of it, too, I think. For sure. And that's another big piece of the self-advocacy. You just can't. If you feel in your heart that something isn't right, then find a doctor who will listen. That's right. Erica, before we end, please tell the audience where they can find out more about you if they're interested. Also, if there's anything else you'd like to share that you haven't had an opportunity to share, please feel free to do that. Sure. So yes, if you'd like to connect with me, I have a website. It's ericakwolf.com. And from there, you can find all of my social media. So I won't go through and give you all the social media handles. But yeah, please follow me. I do post a lot of content out there, things that are going on with Breast Cancer Awareness Month, of course, in October. Throughout November, there's a lot to be grateful for. That's a great month to focus on gratitude. I just do things seasonally and try to focus on a different aspect of a message that I discuss throughout my book. 
And I can't think of anything that we haven't touched on. I feel like we've had such a great discussion, Talia, and I really appreciate you having me here today. If someone does have a question for me, though, please feel free to email me. My email, there's a, a contact form at the bottom of my website where you can send me an email and I'll be happy to get back to you. Thank you for being here with me today, Erica. It's been such a pleasure. I just love your outlook on everything. Thank you for all the wonderful advice you have shared with my audience. And I will make sure people know how to get in touch with you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Talaya. You're welcome. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find this podcast and listen again. You can also listen to Navigating Cancer Together on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you're looking to expand your network, join me on LinkedIn. As an active member of the platform, I would love to personally invite you to connect with me there. Let's grow our connections together. Search for Talea Dindi, VCPA, that's spelled T-A-L-A-Y-A-D-E-N-D-Y. BCPA. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you found it helpful. Please be sure to subscribe, share, and tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you join me for the next episode. Talk to you soon.